0: Pastor Chris's podcast. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. We've, we've probably heard that verse before and it tells us how important Scripture is. But if we're honest... There are a lot of parts of scripture that we just like to skip right over, aren't there? Do you really mean to tell me that it's inspired in Matthew chapter one when it says that Abraham begat so and so and he begat so and so and it goes on down the line for 16 verses? How about those scary parts in Revelation? Or what about some of those stories in the Old Testament are just confusing and weird? are those inspired by God too? Well, I want to tell you that they are all inspired by God. They are all inspired by God. And we're going to look at some of those passages today that we oftentimes skip over because they are inspired by God. And I want you to listen closely today because if it's inspired by God, it means that it's God's word to you. So we're going to begin with the passage that I just spoke about, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. But rather than reading it to you today, because I love you, I found a song that sings it. So I hope you enjoy it.
1: Abraham had Isaac, Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah in his kin. Well, then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez, he brought Hezron up and then came. Aram, then Amminadab then nation who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who as king David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife Solomon well you all know him he had good old Rehoboam followed by Abijah who had Asa Asa had Jehoshaphat had Joram had Isaiah, who had Jotham then Ahaz then Hezekiah followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah, who grandfathered Joachim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. And then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azar, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliab then. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ.
0: Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes. There will be a test. You must pass it. Ah. So do you keep up with your own genealogy? Do you keep up with your own? Some people do. Some people do. Some people get really excited about it. And although we kind of look at the the one in the Bible and we think, oh, really? We gotta read this. But then they have shows on television that look at the genealogy of celebrities and famous people. Have you ever seen some of those shows? They go back and look at the histories of them and and see uh, where did they come from and what kind of cool things were in their history or what kind of skeletons were in their closets, in their family closet. We tend to skip over the genealogy of Jesus Christ, even though he is the most famous person who ever lived. Think about that. And if you skip over Christ's inspired genealogy, you will miss some important facts like this. There are 40 men listed in Jesus genealogy, 40 men, which makes sense because Jewish genealogies from the first century listed the lineage through the male ancestor. And the Bible records um, the people who the Bible records lived in a mostly male dominated patriarchal society. So you, uh, you don't have to necessarily like that. I don't think that God necessarily liked that, that the fact that the males were so dominant and females were kept so low, that wasn't God's intention, but that's the way things were. And so that's the way it worked. But there are 40 men listed in Jesus genealogy, but there are five women listed, only five women listed, which makes you think, Why are there five women in a male genealogy? Who were these women that were so important they made it into a genealogy of a patriarchal, male-dominated society? That's huge. Why did the men who kept track of all these things, who obviously valued men more than women, why did they put these five women? They must have been wonderful, godly women, you might think that. and some of um, some of their stories are very interesting, but maybe not in the way you think. Their stories will challenge you of your preconceived notions of what it means to be holy. So I hope you'll pay attention. Apparently, God inspired the writer of Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 16 to record the names of these, Five women without whom Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of the world, would not have been born into the world the first Christmas day. So between now and Christmas, we are going to hear the stories of each of these five women. And the first woman, woman that we're going to look at, the first Christmas maiden, is Tamar. And her story comes from Genesis chapter 38. Tamar was a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites, as a whole, were evil in God's sight. They were evil because they had twisted religion so much that it had nothing to do with the one true God who made them. Nothing to do with Him anymore. Canaanite religion was a way to make God into their own image through idolatry. A way to try to control God. And to make him into something that they wanted him to be. They worshipped God through sexual orgies. This is how they did it. They did this in order to try to arouse God and, and make him like them. This is what they did. I'm not making this stuff up. This is Canaanite religion. Furthermore, Canaanites even sacrificed their own children as part of their wicked religious ceremonies. And God rejected Canaanite, the Canaanites' wicked religion and determined that because they were so wicked that it was time to drive them out of the land of Canaan and give their land to this descendants of Abraham. And Tamar was a Canaanite. She was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, a despised Canaanite. So if you ever feel like there's no hope for you, I want you to think of Tamar. The name Tamar means date palm. The date palm is a tree in Israel that produces the most amazing fruit that's called a date that is dried to make something that's kind of like a raisin, except it's about as big as your thumb. You can buy dates at Kroger. They're pretty good. But they don't even come close to the amazing medjool dates that you can get in Israel, the native land where they're grown. Eating a date at Kroger and comparing it to a date that you get in Israel is kind of like comparing a tomato that you get at Kroger to one that you get out of Bill Kaler's garden. Just not, it doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare. Tamar means date. And apparently uh, Tamar was to die for too, just like those medjool dates. Listen to her story from Genesis chapter 38. I'll kind of read through it and, and take a few breaks here and there to make comments. We'll start with Genesis 38 and verses 6 through 10. In the course of time, Judah, was a man's name, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a, was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar as, your, as our law requires for the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother, the one that had died. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead mother. So the Lord took Onan's life, too. We'll stop right there. Now, here's a weird passage that you didn't know was in the Bible, but it is. It's a bit gross and somewhat explicit. It's no wonder that you don't hear about this story in Vacation Bible School. But it's part of God's inspired story of redemption for all humanity. So we're not going to skip it today. We're going to look at it. What's going on here? Now, the ancient Israelites had this custom called Leverite marriage. It seems a bit strange to us, but it had an important purpose. Now, remember that they lived in a patriarchal male-dominated society. In their culture, um, you know, men had all the status and women had nothing. Women had, in order to survive, a woman had to be totally taken care of by the men in their life. When they were, when a, when a girl was a child, she depended absolutely for everything from her father to take care of her. Protect her, provide for her, and, and everything she had in life. Even her identity came through her father. We see in the genealogy that women didn't even make it into the genealogies most of the time. I'm not saying that that is the way the world ought to be, but that is the way the world was. When a woman grew older, she would marry, she would leave her father's house and go to live with her husband. And now her identity, her protection, um, her livelihood, everything came through her husband. If her husband died, then she was taken care of by her children. So this is the way the work, world worked at the time. And I'm so thankful that God has been working with us a stubborn humanity ever since then, till we're getting to a place now where we respect women more and we understand that, that they are equal in every way to men. But at the time, this is the way the world worked. And God tried as best as he could and I can just imagine him rolling his eyes as he tried to work through these stubborn people. So the purpose of love right marriage was that another thing was that the greatest curse that any family could ever face was that your name died with you. So you had no children to carry on the family name. In Israel, this was a great considered a, the ultimate, ultimate tragedy. And so in order to protect women and to protect the family name, here's how they would do it. Suppose I was married and I died and I had not had any children yet. Then my wife would be taken in marriage by my brother. And my brother would produce an heir. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But think about it. It's not so weird. If we have a couple today a husband and a wife, and they can't have children, what might they do? They might go to the doctor and they might have artificial insemination so that they could have a child, right? They didn't have that 4,000 years ago. So this is the way they did it. It was called Leverite marriage. It made sure that the dead brother's family name continued. Would not die with him. Plus it made sure that the wife who was now a widow had a male leader to take charge of her and make sure that she was safe and protected and provided for and that she would have children so that when she was older, she would have someone to take care of her. This is the way that their culture did it. But Judah's family, Judah and his family were not acting the way God wanted them to act. They were being wicked. Judah's first son, Ur, married Tamar. That's what got Tamar into the family. But the scripture says, Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Now, we don't know why Ur was considered so wicked. It doesn't really tell us. But he was so wicked, apparently, that God took his life. So he must have been a wicked man. We do notice something, though, that Ur... Married a Canaanite woman. Tamar was a Canaanite. Ur was a person of the of God's promised people who were supposed to supplant the Canaanites and their religion. Now we talked about this a little bit last week that God has no problem with the intermarriage of different people groups or different races. That's not a problem. The problem with the Canaanites was not their race, the problem was their religion. They religion was so evil that God said, we can't have any more of that. I'm getting rid of y'all and I'm replacing you with these people, Judah's family. But instead of Judah's family rejecting the Canaanites, instead they said, Er, this is the way I think it. And it's not exactly what scripture says, but it doesn't tell us. But here's what I think. Er kind of looked at Tamar and said, yeah, buddy, I like me some Tamar. She is a fine, tasty date. And he was more interested in that than he was in the promise of God that your family is going to represent me on the earth. That's pretty wicked. So Ur dies. And now Tamar is a widow. with No one to take care of her. So Leverite marriage kicks in. And Ur's brother Onan is now obligated to To take care of his brother's wife, to make sure that she's cared for, to make sure that she has a son, to carry on his brother's name and to take care of her. But Onan is not really interested in doing what he's supposed to do. It's interesting here. Now, Onan, being a man, is perfectly fine with having relations with his brother's, his dead brother's wife but he doesn't want to have children with her because children are a big responsibility, right? They take a lot of research. You got to feed them. You got to clothe them. and Er And Onan's already got his own kids to take care of. He's like, I don't want no more kids, especially when they're not even mine. But I'll be happy to go to bed with Tamar. And God looks at that in verse 10 and he says, The Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. And so the Lord took Onan's life too. And then it goes on in Genesis chapter 38, verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Go back to your parents' home. Remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would die also, like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her family's home. Now, here's something you might miss if you didn't know a little bit about ancient Israelite culture. Tamar, I mean, um, Judah's saying, well, little Sheila, he's too little. He can't marry him now. If he's too little, guess whose responsibility it is to take care of Tamar? It's Judah's responsibility to take care of Tamar, but Judah don't want this woman around. He's like, she's trouble. Everyone who touches her dies. So go back. So he rejects her. He rejects his responsibility and sends her to go back to her parents' house, which is a big no-no. You're not supposed to do that. Judah's not doing what he's supposed to do. Tamar has been abused and used and forgotten. Have you ever felt used, abused, and forgotten? God holds each of us accountable for our own sins. It isn't your lineage that makes you righteous or gains you favor in God's sight. It is those who repent of their sin and turn to God through Jesus Christ, His Son, who enjoy the Lord's favor. In our story today, We are finding, we've got two people groups going on here. We've got Judah and his family who are the people of God, whom God has chosen to implement his salvation plan for all of humanity. And then you've got Tamar, who is a Canaanite, whose people God has rejected because of their false religion. But it, right now... The God, God's people are not acting like God's people. They are not doing the right thing. Judah and his sons are all doing evil. Going on in Genesis chapter 38 and verses 12 through 19. Some years later, Judah's wife died. And after the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went to Timnah to supervise the sheep shearing. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. Timnah was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her, Tamar, to marry him, Sheila. You see, Judah had no intentions of giving his third and final son to this woman who everybody who marries her ends up dead. Now, he thought the problem was Tamar. Did he ever look, did he ever stop to think that maybe his actions or his son's actions were the cause of God's vengeance on them? Always want to blame the woman, right? Going on in verse 14. So she, Tamar, changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat down beside the road at the entrance of the village of Enan, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. Now, A lot of people, I've heard a lot of sermons and a lot of commentators write on this, and they say that Tamar dressed up like a prostitute. Then I read it and looked at it, and I realized it never once says that she dressed up like a prostitute. It says she put a veil over her face. She didn't want Judah to know who she was. All she did was put a veil over her face. But verse 14 says Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. Wonder what Judah's got on his mind. He's going up to Timnah to have a big party, That's just what you did when you sheared the sheep. Everybody came and had a big party, lots of drinking, lots of having fun, and probably some other stuff too. And so Judah thinks she's a prostitute. So he stopped and, prostit- and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How will you pay to have sex with me, Tamar asks. I kind of imagine she's just going along with it here. You know, Tamar's a smart woman. Tamar was a Canaanite. Maybe she looked at her people and she said, you know what? This Canaanite religion, this stuff is crazy, y'all. This is whacked out. But she looks at Judah's family and she says, these people are whacked out. <laughs> Their religion is good, but they are messed up. You know, a lot of people say that about Christians today. They say, you know what? I love Jesus. I love what the Bible says about Jesus. But sometimes I look at Christians and the way they live and the way they act and I think, man, won't you just do what Jesus says? And I believe that Tamar probably saw in Judah's family, God, you're God's people. Would you just do what he says? But instead, you're living the way you do. But even though Judah's family was not living the way they should, they were still God's chosen people that he was using to bring his plan of salvation into the world. And somehow Tamar sensed God's hand at work in Judah's people, his family, and she was determined... To be part of it. Are you determined to be part of God's family? To be part of God's plan? Even if God's people don't always live the way they should? Can you recognize that God has a plan for everyone and that God is saving the whole world? even when our culture is so messed up that we we put men up at the top and women down at the bottom, or even when we have the brokenness and the darkness that we sometimes see in a church, do you still see that God is at work? Do you have faith to see it? And then it goes on in verse 17. Judah says, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. That's how he was going to pay for this thing but what will you give me to guarantee that you will send me a goat? So he didn't have the goat with him. So she's like, all right, I'll give you some credit, but you got to give me some kind of a pledge. Verse 18, what kind of guarantee do you want? He replied. She answers, leave me your identification seal and its cord and your walking stick that you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. And afterwards she went back home. She took off her veil. She put back on her widow's clothing as usual. And then we'll skip down and look at verse 24 and going down. About three months later, Judah was told Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute. And now because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned. Judah demanded. This was the punishment that they would have for a woman who was not faithful a little bit of a double standard you know men are going off having parties and shearing sheep and hiring prostitutes the women get pregnant out of wedlock and they're burned i don't think god's very happy with that but that was the way it was verse 25 but as they were taking her out to kill her she sent this message to her father-in-law the man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Busted. Judah recognized them immediately and said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. What a strange story <laughs> for the first woman who was named in Jesus's genealogy. You know, if you're going to write the story of God's holy people and his plan to save the whole world, if I were going to sit down and write that, I think I'd leave some of this stuff out. If I was going to make up a story about how God saved the world, just make it up, I wouldn't be putting all this stuff in there, Right? I mean, when you look back at your family history and you want to tell, here's the story of our family. You don't tell this stuff, do you? (laughs) We all got it in there somewhere, but we don't bring it up. That's one of the reasons why I, I just believe the Bible is true. Who would tell this about themselves if it wasn't true? You just leave this stuff out. But not only is it in there, it's like here is Jesus the son of God here's his family tree tomorrow <laughs> why is she in there Jesus has some fam some skeletons in his family closet none of the people in Jesus family tree were there because they deserved it You know, usually when we pull out our family tree, we we want to be proud of them. We're like, this guy was president. and This guy was, you know, the secretary to the king of England. And it makes you feel like, hey, I'm part of a lineage. But none of the people in Jesus' family tree. I mean, a lot of them were famous people and did some good things, but none of them were there because they deserved it. They were only there. Only there because of God's grace. And because of their faith. Their faith to be part of God's plan. A plan that they didn't even fully understand. They just knew, like Tamar, they just knew God's got a plan. And I see that God's got a plan. And I'll do anything I can. I'll do anything to be part of that plan, to be in it. Because if it's God's plan, it must be worth more than anything else in the whole wide world. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who know that His plan is absolutely the most important thing. It it trumps everything else. And if they believe in God's plan. That's the thing. Are you willing to give up everything? Everything. To be part of God's plan. That's Tamar's story. And that's why she's the first woman in Jesus' genealogy. Next week, we'll continue the series and look at the next one. Rahab, the prostitute.